Hi, this is Dr. Julie Osborne. I'm a doctor of psychology and a licensed clinical social worker specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm here to help you bring the power of CBT into your own life. So this is a really special podcast. This is my first time I'll be interviewing somebody who is a specialist in CBT as well. And we're going to be talking about bipolar disorder. So before we get started and I introduce my guest, I want to read an email as I always do. And I always thank you guys for reaching out and giving me support and questions and ideas for my podcast. And I'll always respond and get back to you. So this one says, hi, Dr. Osborne. Thank you for all your podcasts. They're a wealth of knowledge. Do you have any advice on when someone should see a psychiatrist versus psychologist or therapist? Thank you. Hope you're doing well. I will read my response to give you guys an answer. So I said, thank you for reaching out and being a listener. I was suggesting a psychiatrist if your symptoms get in the way of you being able to do the therapy, or if you have been in therapy for some time and are practicing the tools you're using, but it's still not making progress. I believe if you're on meds, you should always be in therapy. Meds help, but are not a cure. I do not have any particular retreats to recommend, which she also asked about and just said she could do some research. I hope that this helps. All my best, Dr. Julie. So it's interesting reading this now regarding medication. We're also going to talk about that regarding bipolar and where meds fit in with that diagnosis and how they can help as well. So let's get started. And like I said, I'm uh, here with a friend as well as a colleague. So uh, Michael Mikulski is with us. He's a licensed marriage family therapist and specialized in CBT as well. So he's going to share with us a story to interrelate and, again, educate you on what bipolar is, what treatments with CBT, how medicine can help, and uh, we'll go from there. So thanks for being here, Mike. Hi, Julie. It's great (laughs) to be here. Great to see you again and hang out with you this morning and talk about bipolar disorder. Yes. Yeah. So I was telling you a few weeks ago that... um, I have a personal experience with bipolar disorder. So this is not from a therapist's perspective, but from a family member's perspective and how confusing it was for me and how much of a shock that I didn't really understand bipolar disorder and what it is and what it isn't and what to do. So this goes back in time to 2004 and I just graduated with my nifty MFT degree (laughs) from a school in Southern California here, and a great school, and I learned a lot. But there's only so much you can learn from books. And um, I was recently married about a year, and my wife's sister, my wife's from Taiwan, from Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and I knew her sister had bipolar disorder because she had a first manic episode in 2000. And what happened was they just started opening restaurants in Taiwan, this Japanese style food called Okonomiyaki. (laughs) And it's really delicious. And her sister started one of the restaurants and she was managing it and she had a manic episode. This is four years before I saw what this was. And the report is she started to uh, greet and kiss the customers coming in and people on the sidewalk, which she wouldn't normally do. She's a shy, respectful, very wonderful person. And she's kissing them and saying, I love you. You're my best friend and the whole world's great. And she's 
started to run around in the busy streets in a very, very big and uh, busy intersection in uh, Taiwan. And it alarmed passerbys so much that uh, five or six men um, went out and grabbed her and it took that many men to hold her down because her energy level was so huge. Wow. And they held her until an ambulance came. So that's all I knew. And when I first heard the story, I had not been in school yet. So this is before I was even studying to be a therapist. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. But I had no category in my mind for what is that? Exactly. You know, was she just having a bad day? Or, you know, <laughs> not quite sure what that is. So fast forward to 2004, I just graduate. So um, her English name is Vicky. So, and she's given me permission uh, to share this story. And um, I share it in trainings and when I'm working with people with bipolar disorder and when I'm working with their families. And I think it helps because, um, you know, there's a, a relational aspect. I can relate to, to what people are going through and the confusion right. that's going on. <clears throat> so I graduate and then Vicky visits us for six months. She's going to study English. She's going to hang out with us. We're in a tiny little apartment in Pasadena. <laughs> I'm starting my first job right out of graduate school somewhere. And um, we pick her up at the airport. And I remember that uh, the first thing she showed us when we got to our apartment was this big bag of lithium pills, these white pills. And um, my first mistake was thinking, oh, that's your private business. And we have nothing to do with that. I was like wondering why she's showing us her lithium pills. Looking back, I realized that was an opportunity to form a, a team, a collaboration around this disorder. And uh, what would have helped was to get a pillbox from Sunday to Monday kind of a thing and ask her, would it be okay if, um, you know, we get that and, you know, taking of the meds is up to you, but would you want us to make sure you're taking them? Because what happened was she um, forgot if she was taking her meds or not at some point. Mm. Wow. And I also didn't know that a change in time zones can trigger a manic episode. Excellent point. I didn't think of that either. Now, it doesn't cause bipolar disorder, right? Men, millions right. of people cross time zones and they don't have a manic episode. Uh, but how's the story so far? Are we on track? Do you have any questions? Want yeah. Well, first stop? I want to thank Vicki for allowing us to share her story. Because I know this is going to be so helpful. You know, my, my intention with my podcast is to always educate and really give mm. tools mm -hmm. so all of my listeners can walk away with something mm -hmm. or even share this. You know, if they, if they don't have the, you know, immediate, maybe if they know somebody or mm -hmm. one day will with bipolar going, oh, yeah, I thought of this, thought of that. You know, how can I collaborate, like you said, as a team mm -hmm. with the person? Mm -hmm. So this is perfect. Okay. Yeah, we'll get the tools. That's okay. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> one of the tools is that collaboration, but it's also yes. with respect. So we wouldn't want to be intrusive with Vicky and say, we're going to control your meds. No, it's more of a collaboration. Like, would you want some help with that? And where would you like us to be as, as part of your treatment team and your support? But I didn't know any of that. I just thought, well, that's your personal business. <clears throat> 
And it started off great. She was in uh, English language school. She met some friends. She went to uh, Magic Mountain, which is an amusement <laughs> park, you know, here. And uh, everything seemed fine. We went to the 4th of July down at the beach and, um, you know, lots of happy memories. We have pictures and all that. Um, but the first sign that something was wrong went totally over my head because I really didn't understand bipolar disorder. Understanding from a book is often very different than really understanding with experience. Yes. <clears throat> and although I had some of that book knowledge, I did not have the experience. <laughs> so one Sunday, we used to go to a Chinese speaking uh, church, you know, for my wife and her sister, and they stayed for a Bible study. And after the Bible study, uh, my wife said, oh, Vicky's speaking up in class. And I just thought, well, that's good. You know, it doesn't seem like a change, but this is a change. Mm -hmm. Her normal self is reserved and shy and she wouldn't normally speak up. So I missed an early warning sign. And one of the tools is learning how to identify early warning signs because you can help a person avoid a full-blown dangerous manic episode if you understand an early warning sign. Yes. So that was one Sunday, a whole week passed. We went to that same church. I, I stay out because I don't speak Chinese. I, <laughs> I'm reading, uh, you know, outside somewhere. And my wife and Vicky come out and we're driving home and she says, Vicky is shouting out things in class and saying weird things. Mm. Now, you would think I would get it at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, something's up here, but I had no category in my mind for uh -huh. understanding at all what a manic episode is and how it develops. It's a bipolar disorder is an episodic illness. So a person can feel and, and behave perfectly fine uh, like anybody else. And then an episode can happen and it often is triggered by intense stress um, or change of time zone or not taking their medication, that kind of a thing. <clears throat> so she says this, and I, I still don't understand what's going on. And uh, a few days later, my wife tells me, you know, Vicky's not sleeping. Now, this is a major yes. uh, symptom for bipolar disorders, not sleeping. Now, just about anybody can stay up all night, but how are they going to feel the next day? Yes pretty tired, right? Even mm -hmm. if I don't get a full night's sleep, I can feel it. Right? Oh, I can sure. function, but I can only have three hours of sleep, I'm feeling it, right? Yes. But people with bipolar disorder in a manic episode, they're just as up and energetic as if they did have a full night's sleep. Anyway, she's telling me she's not sleeping and this is the, now the third warning sign that I'm not getting. So it's going to be embarrassing to share this story because I'm going to share with you how, I don't know what word to use, how I didn't know, right, what what was going on. So my wife tells me she's wandering around the apartment all night long. And, I, and we have a small apartment. Yeah. So I said to my wife, uh, you know, why is she wandering around the apartment all night long? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just couldn't get it. And then... Uh, the next night, my wife didn't sleep because she was um, trying to keep Vicky calm, sitting with her on the bed, singing like childhood songs, trying to keep her calm. 
Wow. And the next day I was home from work and I was watching TV and um, Vicky comes over and kisses me on the mouth. Wow. And oh. that shocked me. And I yes. turned around and my wife was, I'll never forget it, in the back of the you know, living room behind me. And I turn around and look at my wife and I'm, I raise my hand. I'm like, what? What's going on? And my wife looked at me with terror now on her eyes and said, she thinks she's your wife and I'm the sister-in-law. Oh, my goodness. And then Vicky goes to the front door and she opens it, closes it, opens it, closes it with this wild look on her head. Then the light went on in my mind. I suddenly realized we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Houston, I think yeah. we have a problem. <laughs> it was one of those moments that it finally fully registered that there was something extremely unusual going on here. And I panicked and I told my wife, uh, keep her here. And I got in my car and I drove 45 minutes to West LA where a previous therapist that I used to see is a psychiatrist. So he's an MD. Yes. Great guy. But I wasn't seeing him anymore, but I, I panicked. I didn't even know if he was working. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, that day or even if he was still there. The office. <laughs> so I drove like an hour and I pressed the silver button in the office, hoping and, that he's, you know, there. And after five or ten minutes, he comes out. Wow. And I'm like, Tim, can I see you? For a few minutes, he's like, sure, come on in. And um, <clears throat> I told him what was going on. He said, well, she's having, it sounds like she's having a major manic episode. You need to get her to the hospital. And he was considering taking her himself, but we decided the best thing was for me to take her to the hospital. Yeah. So, you know, there's this great hospital down the street from where we were. So, you know, like five miles. So I raced home and I said, get her in the, the car. And we had trouble getting her in the car. Mm. And a couple of other warning signs that I didn't know about at the time, but she would tell uh, my wife during this period leading up to this wild manic episode is that she, English was so easy and she could speak English now. Oh. Right? So yes. she, she had this grandiosity. And, uh, of course, she said it all in Mandarin, not in English. <laughs> then she said, oh, I could play the piano. And she went to our piano and was banging on the keys. It didn't, you know, sound like music. Yes. But she claimed she could play piano perfectly. Anyway, we get her in the car, and she tried to jump out of the car, like going down the Lama Boulevard in Pasadena, or Del Mar Boulevard. And she... Um, She's trying to jump out and yelling at my wife, keep her in the car. She's oh in the back gosh. seat with her. And I was pretty sure I shouldn't do this, but I drove into the, where the ambulances go because mm -hmm. I was still in a oh. panic. I, I didn't know what to do. Sure. And I, I kind of didn't want her in the waiting room. Yes. Because she understand. had no insurance and I had no insurance for her. And she's acting. And, and yeah, know. she's full-blown medic. She hadn't yeah. slept for a week at this point. Oh, my God. Yeah, a whole week, and she was out of her mind, and she was delusional. She thinks I'm her husband. Mm -hmm. um, so I park, and a nurse, you know, I get out. I said, get her out of that car. And uh, I get out, and the nurse comes out wagging her finger at me and saying, you can't park here. I said, you're right. And I closed the doors with my wife and Vicky out 
of the car and I drove to the parking lot and out of the rearview mirror, I saw the nurse pointing to the waiting room and then her jaw drop and lead them right into the hospital. Wow. And as soon as they, she led her into the hospital, a wave of relief washed over me because um, I felt like maybe now we could get her some help. Yes. And she's safe. And she's safe. Yeah. And she's with people that know what to do. Yeah. But the drama right. didn't end there. I'm sure not. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to ask you this before we move yeah. on. Do you think part of not recognizing it is, you know, family? I think when people are that close to us, we can see it in strangers. What's she thinking? What, that's weird behavior. When it's family, it's like, oh, okay, so she's, maybe she felt a little more comfortable at this particular church, right? Like, we rationalize the behavior sometimes when it's not like, you know, until she kissed you on the lips, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, what? Before it's like, okay, that's a little odd. But, you know, we don't put a lot of thought into it sometimes when it's close to us. I think that's true. Yeah. This is certainly true for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I shared earlier um, in an episode before this with my one daughter that has the ADHD that, you know, I didn't get it diagnosed, you know, till later. And oh, I regret that. Right. Right. Because of different symptoms. And I talked about it in the podcast. But, you know, look back going like, OK, I'm in the field, but, you know, it's my own kid and I don't see exactly. it. Exactly. Because it was just too close for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I was just thinking about this as you were sharing that, yeah. you know, she's your sister-in-law, but a little bit of like, okay, so she spoke up in group. Like, that's not something to jump on that normally, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that played a, a part in it. And also my ignorance, quite frankly. Sure. Of what this diagnosis really is. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. My wife said that at the time she wasn't afraid because it was her sister. Okay. But looking back. It was very scary. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's another reason why I'm so happy we're doing this together, because for you to help us understand what is bipolar, because I meet people that, oh, my, you know, so-and-so is bipolar. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, slow down. Like, it's a big diagnosis. Yeah. Right. And just because someone's moods change doesn't mean they're bipolar. Yeah. There's a lot more to that, which we'll get to. So that's why another reason I'm really glad we're talking about this. Okay. Yeah. Well, this, you know, get into the next drama scene, but this um, experience uh, propelled me to study bipolar disorder. And then I became a director um, of uh, adult services at a community mental health in Southern California for five and a half years. And we had like 800 patients under us and about a third had bipolar disorder. So I uh, began studying it and learning and working with families and people with bipolar disorder and training staff because largely people aren't really trained in this. And I would go to NAMI. So NAMI is the National uh, Association of Mentally Ill People. And um, it's family to family. It's a really important resource uh, for families. So they're not alone yes. with what's going on. I learned a tremendous amount from the families who came there. And their families run it and they, they welcome new members and they, they come in with like a deer in headlights and they welcome them so much and they feel for the first time somebody understands what they're going through. Exactly. Because your neighbor isn't going to understand. Right, right. So NAMI is, is really important. Anyway, <clears throat> um, I, I park the car and I go into the, <clears throat> uh, you know, where my wife and, and, um, sister-in-law is right there in the emergency section and they had um 
had to restrain Vicky and she was in a room and they said to me, they don't have any rooms at the hospital. We have to take her to um, the county hospital. Now I've been to the county hospital and I think they, they probably do a great job, but you wait a long time Yes. in, in a, a pretty sterile waiting room. And um, the thought of putting in her in a car where she could jump out again was pretty frightening to me. Sure. Uh, so I said, uh, you know, um, if you're willing to transport her, you know, we'll, we'll follow and we'll go wherever you want. And they, they said they weren't willing to do that. And I said, I just don't know what to do then. Mm-hmm. Because th- it would be no how it would be dangerous actually to take yes. her back home. Oh yes. So or to even uh, put her in the car again. Even or even put her in the car yeah. again. Absolutely, because like from four years earlier, she was running around in traffic without any concern to her own safety. Right. To the point it alarmed just complete strangers to get exactly get her uh, to safety. So they, they didn't seemed very happy with me that I said mm-hmm. I was unwilling to drive her to another hospital. And then they brought a clipboard with some papers to sign. And they wanted me to sign some papers. And I knew I didn't have any money. I just graduated. I'm, I'm not making anything. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said, no, I'm, a, uh, I'm not going to sign, you know, anything because I can't have financial responsibility. And you know, this hospital, I'm so grateful to them mm. um, because I put them in a bad spot. Yeah. Um, but they they uh, said that they have to keep her there in that um, kind of holding bin overnight because they really had no room. And I said, well, that, that's the best that we can do then. And we drove home. And the next day we got a call that they found uh, a, a bed for her. Oh, great. And it took her... <clears throat> a week on medication before she recognized my wife. Wow. So my wife went to visit her every day. I went when I could because I was still working. And um, she um, was very stiff in her body language. She uh, looked like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the um, bipolar disorder, the manic episode, but also because of the the meds, they had to stabilize her. So I feel grateful that they did that. And then I let my wife know, I said, tell the hospital, get her stable, and we'll put her on the next plane back to, with my wife accompanying her to Taiwan to see her psychiatrist. Okay. And they got her stable, took two weeks. We picked her up from the hospital and took her directly to LAX. And my wife, who I think was pregnant at the time with her firstborn, took her to Taiwan and um, to her psychiatrist. And then I began to learn uh, about this disorder. One experience. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually a little bit more drama later, but um, that's the first full kind of thing. And then I'd like to share with you what I've learned. For sure. Since then, you know, as I... um, discovered so and let me just say like you know in our field a lot of people wonder like why are you a therapist you know and i'm not saying it was you know i mean you already graduated but you know our interests our specialties a lot of times derive from our own personal experiences Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and then Mm -hmm. we feel like oh i want to help people i can understand i've been there so 
So you having this experience mm -hmm. is, is even in addition, right? Right. To being able to help people because you can really empathize. Well, it certainly was a, a whole education in and of itself. Yes. And then studying it and then working with people and, and their families um, has been such an honor mm -hmm. and a privilege. Um, and bipolar disorder is a very treatable illness. There's lots of hope. And CBT does come into play, and we'll get to that um, in just a minute. Um, but it's it's a it's um, it's just an episodic illness that needs to be understood and treated. And um, uh, like, like uh, I talk to families, and I say it's like diabetes, right? Uh, it's that's not a life, a death sentence. It's just exactly. an illness yes. that once you get it, it's I think it's lifelong. Yes, and you just have to understand. Oh, I have diabetes. Oh, I need to um, check my blood sugar level. I need to watch what I eat, and I need periodic uh, labs. Yes, and and the hope is you know to let people know they're listening. You know, you can have very full lives. Absolutely. So with Vicky, bipolar. Yeah, Vicky is very successful. A restaurant owner and manager. She does all the inventory. She she trains the staff. She has a beautiful uh, three bedroom condo that she bought with her own money um, in Taiwan. It's in a beautiful complex, and uh, she's very successful. That's excellent to hear. Yeah, and she hasn't had since then a full blown manic episode. She's had uh, started to have episodes. So this is the main one of the main points I want to talk about. Yeah. Is when you understand the warning signs and she gets back to the psychiatrist, he can adjust or she can adjust the medication and avoid a manic episode. Yes. And manic yes. episodes are dangerous because she could have gotten killed mm -hmm. running into the um, street. People I've worked with have done all kinds of things like driving down the freeway at 90 miles an hour. Yes. Or convincing a whole bunch of 20-year-olds um, uh, that they're hanging out with to, to drop everything and go to Vegas. And they're still um, going 100 miles an hour uh, in Vegas and everybody else is dead tired right. and exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and let me add this, my experience also, just like yours, but then I, when I used to work at UCI, I'll never forget this one client, that uh, became manic very, uh, once she would become manic, she was suicidal, like oh, immediately, oh, wow. immediately. So I think, you know, really from movies and TV, people see the mania as this, you know, elevated mood and you always feel good, but there's the other mania. So glad you're saying this. Yeah, where you're also very agitated and depressed. You know, I've had, I had two that I can think of off the top of my head that became suicidal, like, you know, like, just like with the mania, just like that. You know, and she had to be hospitalized over and over and she finally became stable, but it was a long route. And I was, I didn't know back then, like you didn't know <clears throat> that, you know, the mania could be more negative feelings and not just, you know, quote, happy feelings. I just love what you're saying. Um, there's a kind of a way of understanding a person's warning signs as their own signature. You know how we all yes. have our own signature and it's different than mine always changes, but... <laughs> <laughs> But people have their own distinct signature, and, and although the um, symptoms are kind of clumped together in like, you know, eight or so kind of core symptoms, 
for uh, bipolar disorder, everybody is a different person and they might present these symptoms differently. And um, <clears throat> so this is one of the most important things I learned as I'm studying this and working with uh, my wife and Vicky. Vicky is now in Taiwan and she was in Taiwan. And um, as I'm studying, I'm uh, starting to understand what our role is as okay. family. And I would hear my wife talking to her sister on the phone. And although I don't speak any Mandarin or just a few words, um, the tone would change. Oh. Something was different. And I would say to her, my wife, while she's on the phone, what's going on? And she would say, oh, um, Vicky, um, uh, you know, my brother's saying that Vicky is starting to talk weird. Okay. So that's how they, you know, for them, like you said, they're family, so they're too close to see it. Uh, but that's a warning sign. Yes. Talking weird. Yes. Because <laughs> Vicky doesn't talk weird. Yes. But she's not having a, <laughs> oh, an impending manic episode. You could look at it like a slope that gradually goes down and then dives into a cliff. Okay. So the warning signs, it's the slope beginning to go down and going toward this cliff. And at a certain point, there's no stopping the manic episode. Yeah. So the person just goes full into it. What you want to do is catch them on that slope and bring them back up to safety. Yes. So when I heard that Vicky's talking weird, I said to my wife, please take her, have, ask her brother to take her to the psychiatrist right away. And my wife said, oh, uh, she has an appointment on Friday. Well, that's three days away. I said, no, 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 <laughs> take her today. And I actually had to almost beg my wife, please just do this. Because it can happen that quickly. It can happen quickly. Yes. You don't know. Yeah. It, it might have been okay, maybe not. So her brother, you know, graciously did that, right? He stopped what he was doing and he, you know, it's kind of an inconvenience, but that's why you need to understand this ahead of time. So you're ready to take action if you need to. Because it's going to be even more of an inconvenience if she goes into full mania. Oh, yeah. And then they have to deal with all of that. Oh, so yeah. that is true that, you know, it is an extra responsibility with family. But the sooner you catch it, the better it is for everybody. The sooner you catch it, the better it is for everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why that's the role family has is to be the eyes and ears for the warning signs. Not in an intrusive way. Right. So part yes. of the the kind of what I do with families is I ask the client who's um, in control of the treatment. Yes. We say, what would you like your family to do if they see warning signs? And what would you like your family not to do if they see warning signs? And we get that all on paper and have a shared understanding because family can be very meaning, I mean, well-meaning, but say the wrong thing and it might have the opposite effect. It might upset the person with bipolar disorder and they might then refuse to take meds or, or not see it because denial is pretty easy to do. It's, it's hard to recognize this illness for what it is. Um, anyway, so uh, that happened several times where she was beginning to have symptoms, not sleeping uh, and whatnot. And so um, she would go see her psychiatrist and they would 
uh, adjust the meds and she would not have um, a manic episode. She would get to baseline. The depression part has happened with her. She was six months in bed mm -hmm. uh, one time. And this is where the CBT can be really powerful. And this is before 2004 when I saw this um, between her first episode and that she had severe depression. Um, but she hasn't had much depression. So the meds have really kept her stable. I'm wondering where we're okay. Where we're at. Yeah, let me ask you this before we finish up today's episode. Yeah. And, you know, for all of you hanging on for more information, <laughs> we are going to have a second episode with Mike for sure, because all this is just fascinating, right? And there's so much to share. But just for at least today, um, yes. where would you recommend people that want to maybe do more reading okay. or start, you know, learning more on their own if they're wanting to know or if they're thinking, oh, you know, maybe this is my cousin that we never figured out what was going on or, or she was so much fun to hang out with. She's always so happy, mm -hmm. right. That we never really like, there's something else. And then she had the depression or, you know, things like that. So where's a good resource for them to start? Would you say? Um, they could start on YouTube and try to find some stuff or TikTok might have some good things. I've seen some really good, you could tell if somebody's really sincere and they share their stories. Uh, Kay Jamison wrote a great, uh, book on her own experience with bipolar disorder. I can't think of the name. Is that of the, the book. Belcher? No, that's different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't remember the name of the book. Okay. Our next episode, you guys will have a couple books for you because <laughs> I have one also that I had a client actually bring me that he thought was super helpful when he found out he had bipolar. That's well. good. Yeah. Yeah. Like and I would those. say another resource I just thought of as we're talking is you can just go to a therapist. You don't have to be the patient. Right. You can find mm -hmm. a therapist that specializes mm -hmm. in bipolar. You know, if you look up, you know, people's websites and things like that, they'll, you know, share what they specialize in. And you can just go get educated through a therapist. Mm -hmm. So that's also a resource. Yeah. If, if they really understand bipolar. Exactly. Disorder. Yes. Yeah. And for people who have bipolar disorder, the DBSA groups are excellent. It's uh, Depression Bipolar Support Association. Excellent. DBSA. I just had somebody call me last week asking if I did groups and I don't do groups, but this is a group that okay. they can join. Excellent. And it is an excellent place, safe place for people to go who have bipolar disorder and uh, connect with others and learn a lot about it. Okay. All right. So we're going to finish for today. I hope that this was helpful. And if you have any specific questions that you love us to answer, you can always email me at mycbtpodcast at gmail.com. Please continue to send in your emails, sending me questions and recommendations for further podcasts. If you enjoyed this one, please hit the subscribe button to make sure you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe. And remember to make decisions based on what's best for you, not how you feel. Take care.